Hi guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and you're listening to Specify, the Building Materials Innovation Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to help the entrepreneurs, the innovators, who are making a positive difference in the building materials, coatings, and construction industry. Each episode will tap leaders and experts from inside and outside the industry to provide the mental tools, skills, and insights to make an impact. Today's guest is Ario, who's the owner of My Home Designer. My Home Designer offers architectural services for residential applications, and Ario spent 35 years perfecting his craft. Ario, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Ario, can you tell our listeners a bit more about your background? Yes. Yeah, I studied architecture in 1986, and since then I was working in different uh, aspects of the building industry most of the time was design but it happened in several years that i was involved with more in construction as well yeah and in vancouver for past 20 years and been involved with uh, many different buildings and i started uh, my home designer since 2006 absolutely so you said 20 years in vancouver what were you doing before did you come from somewhere? I'm uh, originally from Iran. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I studied architecture in uh, Iran and uh, in Tehran. So they did a lot of uh, multidisciplinary buildings right there. Yeah, and then in Vancouver was in different type of buildings. So I have to start over, <laughs> basically. So when you say start over, what do you mean by that? The building standards are different because of the material being used in different parts of the world makes it like for example the concrete and steel has been used in iran and that by itself it has a different fire rating which results in terms of building code it makes it a whole lot easier to deal with whereas we have a wood standard and wood structure here which requires a lot more cautious and the standards and codes to be taken care of when we are building homes or any buildings in which out of out of what yeah so you said you came over here did you speak english when you got here or was there a language challenge as well as a matter of fact no i didn't speak as much of english at all <laughs> my second language at the time was german so it took me six months just to forget about the, my second language and start over from uh, scratch to learn english six months that seems like a pretty fast time to pick up a language what did you do no, I mean, it took me six months to forget German because oh. <laughs> at the time, anytime I wanted to talk, the German was coming through and then I was just uh, couldn't uh, really learn as much English because German was forcing into my learning. So eventually, basically, I, by hanging out with locals, especially in downtown Vancouver, started getting the hang of the language. Describe what you mean by hanging out with the locals. What what were you doing? Like gathering places, going for pottery classes, I don't know, gyms, parks, anywhere, especially in summertime in Vancouver. It's just beautiful time to be out there, outdoor and do activities and whatever opportunities comes in, start a a conversation and picking up slang, picking up the, the words, all that kind of things. I mean, it must have been very tough because, I mean, I, if I think of myself, if I was just dropped in the middle of a 
a situation where I didn't speak the language, I'd feel very intimidated in that whole process. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It was. It was. Besides that, all Afghan things came with a different expectation, with different life standard, and then all of a sudden come here jobless, wasn't able to communicate. And at that time, 1990s, the work in architecture was very bad and it was not easy to find any jobs. So mm. it took me quite a bit of time to adjust with uh, the lifestyle. Because you, you're back originally where you're from, you had a, a very steady architectural job and you came here and you essentially had to start from scratch. Exactly. Exactly. Getting training, going to the BCIT, especially getting some courses through like BC building codes and some CAD related programs to update my ability and learn new techniques and all that kind of things for the workforce in, in Vancouver. Mm. How did you catch your first few breaks? Obviously, you were learning these. Who gave you a chance? How did you kind of claw back into this? A couple of architectural firms, they had some opportunities that they were open for newcomers. Then basically, it is good for them to get some force from other countries who might have some fresh mind. And at the same time, they don't have to pay a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was a good chance to work with several different uh, firms. And, you know, besides that, the timing was very bad. So any firms that were hiring, they couldn't keep up, keep the employees for so long because there was not enough jobs. So after we finished the project, immediately I was looking for another opportunity because I knew I wouldn't be there for so long. So I was lucky enough, immediately uh, right after I finished the project, I was able to find another position in another firm. Well, how long did it take you to get established in a more steady situation? I worked for almost 14 different architectural firms during the seven years that I was working for different architects. Basically, sometimes where I was working for two or three companies at the same time, either part-time or contract-based, working from home. You know, I was trying all that kind of different things to be able to not only support with the family, but even learn because each type of building that I was working, they had different standards, different requirements, things that related to each building, like a residential or uh, institutional or commercial. Each of them were different. So that was the intense time that I basically forced myself to go through to be able to understand the building standard in BC. Now, listening to what you're telling me at this point, the word that comes to mind is resiliency with what you've done. Where do you, where do you get that from? Since I've been introduced to architecture, I was always loved this field. When you love something, you do best possible to learn as much as possible. And I never feel that my work is as a job that I have to do is a career that I enjoy, is my hobby. So when you have a hobby, you do the best, right? You, you try to enjoy it when you're doing your work. So the more I learn, the more satisfied I get. So that's why I keep continuing learning. <laughs> Absolutely. I guess it makes you great at your job. Now, 
a lot of people are trying to figure out where they fit in and what they love. When did you discover this love of architecture? That's an interesting question. Back there in Iran, we have to write an exam to get into public universities. And my, I always, before I'd been introduced to architecture, I liked uh, petrochemistry. And I wanted to study that. But when I was writing the exam, I got basically the, the tests for architecture. And then from the time I just got introduced to that, I, I fell in love with it. And I said those questions instead. And I basically, I got approved, got accepted and started the, my journey. Absolutely. So you started your journey, you work for different firms, and then you start your own firm. What, what prompted you to do that? I think every person has different personality and some people born to be self-employed. And I believe that is my destiny as well. I'm more of entrepreneur that want to take care of his own life by himself. So I was always wanted to have my own company, even back home. I didn't work for so long for other firms. After several couple of years of working with different companies, I opened my own company back in Iran as well. So that seven years of working here in different firms gave me the confidence that I can start my own because otherwise it wouldn't be possible. I had to get some local experience and knowledge. So that basically comes from the personality that I have. Makes sense. And with your own firm, was it uh, smooth sailing or did you face some adversity as there? Never, never. <laughs> <laughs> it's always challenges, of course. Then you have, when you have a goal that you want to improve your, you improve your target every year or every five years, there's always challenges. You always try to aim higher and higher. So, and that is the beauty of the life. You know, you don't want to sit relax and just uh, get along with the boring daily tasks. So that is my passion to every several years to aim for higher goals and get better. And as a result, I not only have to educate myself, get to better standards and get a better, higher services for different clients. So I always increase my limit to be able to serve better clients. Perfect. Now, you talked about architecture. And what I want to ask about is what are some of the trends that you're starting to notice out there with architecture? Since 2006, seven, I've been introduced to green initiatives and basically environmental friendly initiatives. And from that on, I was involved with Build Green and Hot 2000, a lot kind of standards. And now we are seeing the new trend with Passive House, which basically another type of standards for high efficiency buildings. So regarding the, the building standards by itself, they are all getting better in quality. Remember, 10 years ago, we used to drive vehicles that they were on that age. Vehicles and car companies improved their performance a whole lot. But building industry didn't as much. So the building industry is trying to catch up. 
And the only problem we have is to make, let people know and make this announcement to educate the public to understand that the higher price that they're paying up front for a more energy efficient and higher performance homes, it will pay off in the long term. So is the education to the end public the only hurdle or are there other hurdles in order to make buildings and architecture more sustainable? The other hurdles would be building officials and trades. So we see don't have enough trades who are familiar with the passive house or even the step code three, which we are, this is becoming a minimum standard for building construction in BC. So yes, the education of the trades is important as well, which everybody in the building industry, including BCIT and some municipalities are trying to provide as many courses as possible to get the knowledge out there for designers, for trades, as well as some homeowners. Great. What are the characteristics of a great architect? Architecture is not only an art. There have been basically, when we were in the the university, we've been taught architecture as an art, but it is an art. However, it has to combine with not only technology, but even the finance, because there are times that architects or designers design beautiful homes and they don't really feel the value that it has to go on the or the, the cost or budget. And then the homeowner has to pay for it, which they might not even budget in first place. So this is companionship that they have to, have to understand that it has to make sense for the client as well. And there are many times that the design has to work at the site properly because many times the design looks good in, on the paper, but it's not clear or is not possible for contractors or for trades to do it. And that is sometimes because of the lack of experience on the site, how the materials go with each other to make sure that the details that has been provided are really doable. So this is basically some on-site training that has to be done by architects or designers to get better understanding of the sequence of the building or construction. Great. You're mentioning goals. Now, goals are habits. Now, you're achieving goals all the time. So what are your top three habits or routines that are helping you reach these goals that you're setting? These habits would be waking up in the morning early. What's early? What's early? Early, early is 6, 6.30. It's, that is for, uh-huh. early for me. <laughs> for some people, especially for in the trade, early is like 4 o'clock. Yeah. So, yeah. But this, I start my uh, job around 9 o'clock. I have I start 6 o'clock, 6.30, and even sometimes 5.30. Depends on early meetings. And meditation in the morning. Mm-hmm. and reading and my basically first most important part of the habit is affirmation mm-hmm. that if i have a goal i have to repeat it to myself either through meditation or even when i'm driving to 
make sure that I can achieve my goal. If I don't repeat it to myself, the universe doesn't make it happen to me. Mm-hmm. So it's not just having a goal. You have to have it, have it happen as well, right? Absolutely. So it's become a little bit more philosophic now. <laughs> now, with reading and these habits that you do, you're obviously improving yourself. And if someone came to you that had no architectural background, they're brand new, and you were going to dispense some advice on how they should sort of learn up and get the most out of it, what would you tell them? Okay, that's a good question. So basically, I want to understand that I got the question properly. So if uh, somebody just came up from school, yes, want to start an architectural career, you're asking? That's right. Okay. The way that I started was I started at that time was uh, the routine. I'm not sure if that can apply today as well. But that's where we, they made us to start with from scratch uh, drafting mm-hmm. and uh, learning the skill of drafting, which basically helps you with starting understanding of the basic standards, like the door sizes or uh, hallway sizes or the location of the windows, all that kind of things. These are the minimum things that the first you're going to start. But for a successful designer or architect, I really recommend to find a way to have uh, some hands-on experience to know how the construction is built, either with the some internship or however it's possible going to the job sites to see the process from the digging the ground, putting the concrete, all the the trays, who comes first, who comes the second, the next, all these things really helps the architect to understand when they're designing, when they're even this is not just for new construction, even for renovations. It is really important to know because at the end of the day, no matter what you draw in the blueprint, it has to be built. Mm-hmm. It has to be understandable for a builder. It has to be understandable for every trade. And they might understand what you're drawing, but if it doesn't make sense, actual work, it will not be an easy journey for, for the trades either. Makes sense to me. So as part of this process, this, I guess, student or someone that's new to it will have to read books and follow people. What names come to mind as people that are doing it correctly? Could be current or it could be past to you. I've been working with some architects in past, like Rappi architects. I mean, now I have entirely different feel from them, but in general, it's this. It's just, I cannot really give you a, a clear answer because the world is changed for me right now. I'm not really looking for mentors anymore. I'm more looking for the industry leaders in terms of the innovations, not just for the design, but building technologies. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, people who provide new methodology for making insulations or having the building envelope to be better standard or better quality with uh, minimizing the CO footprint. These are the things that I look at more in my universe because especially when I'm working on the single-family residential, it 
is become a cliche. It's not a whole lot of innovation in terms of the design anymore. Many people trying to follow some specific design and even the clients is not easy to lead them toward a specific design. They try to follow what is the trend and some of the trends are even in some of the municipalities are very outdated, which this is the dilemma that I'm dealing with. Not only trying to educate my clients toward to more building energy efficient homes or high efficiency homes, but even taking them to get it more toward to the modern or newer looking of the buildings. Some of them just go and look at the neighbors and want to see what the neighbor did and they want to repeat the same thing, which that is my challenge now. Within that challenge, have you found anything that's successful to convince these people to take a bit more of a leadership role and try different things? That is the ongoing challenge. There are times that I can be successful. There are times that I cannot, either I lose the client because they want to move forward with another architect or designer who just basically does a cookie cutting type of project. I lost several projects because I'm not a cookie cutter. I try to design the way that it not only matches my client's necessities, but even the design that is, uh, entirely is mine. I don't want to copy anybody else's design. Makes sense. So I know design is a big part of what you do, but I think you're involved in some nonprofits as well. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes. My wife is from, originally from Mexico, and she runs association which is helping new immigrants and I help with that as well who basically want to settle either for job search or looking for getting to the family doctors or this kind of things getting basically information out there through certain medias that especially in Spanish even though our media is bilingual it helps mixed families as well so, yeah, basically it is a media that helps newcomers to know better where to get what they want to. The same things that everybody, like myself and I came, it was really hard for me because at that time it was a lot less information out there for new newcomers to, to know where to get their, for example, their social insurance number, where to get their health care or this kind of things. So now is a lot better, but that is what we do basically offer some services, different every year, different topics. Great. So, is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? All I can say is I'm always open to challenges, challenges of design for clients that want to something extraordinary. And I don't mind to go extra mile to find the right solutions for them. Uh, it's not for in my nature that to work only per hour. I always want to make sure that not only the customer is satisfied, I will be satisfied if I can get something more than that the customer asked for. Yeah. So this is something that uh, this is my desire. Very good. Exceeding customer expectations. Exactly. Ario, thank you so much. 
Thanks for your time. And that's it for today. And I want to thank the listeners for listening to Specified. And I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to make the world a better place. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, please forward it along and send me a note or drop me a comment if you have any feedback or suggestions. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.